0: All right. Well, good morning again from the Church. We welcome those of you who are joining us a little later today as we continue in our sermon series, uh, Not by Bread Alone, where we explore how true transformation and true satisfaction can only be found in Christ. Now, we first saw Jesus' interaction a few weeks ago with Nicodemus, and last week we find that Jesus interacted with the woman at the well, where both of these individuals began to see that lasting joy and transformation uh, was found through the life that came from Christ. But as we move forward today, we are going to encounter another situation, another scenario where Jesus confronts not just a man who was blind since birth, but also the Pharisees who claim to have true spiritual insights. And as I was reading through this passage, I was reminded by a very famous story called The Lost Key. Now, some of you might have heard this story before, uh, but I think it's still an amusing story to kind of revisit from time to time. And the story goes as follows. Uh, one day, there's a man, a wise teacher, his name was Nasruddin. And he was seen by his neighbors, and he was searching for something in the middle of the night, right under a streetlight outside his house. And concerned, his neighbors approached him and asked, Wise teacher, what are you doing? Have you lost something? And he replied, I've lost the keys to my house. And his brow was furrowed with worry. And eager to help this wise teacher, his neighbors joined him in the search, looking carefully across this illuminated area under the street's lights. After some time has passed without success, uh, one of the neighbors, he finally built up enough courage and he asked, Wise teacher, are you sure you lost your key here? No, Nasruddin replied, I lost it inside my house. And absolutely bewildered, his neighbors asked, then why are we looking for it out here? And Nasruddin, he chuckled and he smiled and he looked at them and said, because the light is so much better out here. Now, of course, you know, this is a pretty amusing story of how such a wise teacher can make such a bizarre bizarrely hilarious mistake. Uh, but the story also speaks profoundly, actually, of the human condition as well. I think often we search for answers in the wrong places simply because it's more comfortable for us or maybe just because it's easier. Uh, like Nasruddin, we may be tempted to search for the quote unquote keys where the light is may be brighter. And while we're busy looking for the wrong place, we may be blind to the truth that is right in front of us. And today's passage, we're about to explore a very similar theme of spiritual blindness. All the people of Israel are looking for God, but they fail to question whether they're looking in the right place to begin with. And so as we look at our passage today, I want us to consider or think who is actually blind in our story? Who is the one who is spiritually blind till the very end? So let's take our look at our passage today from John chapter nine, uh, verses twenty-four to forty-one. A second time they summon the man. So uh, sorry. We're, we're, <laughs> so if you read the whole uh, whole chapter nine, uh, just as a bit of a backdrop before I read this, Jesus heals a, mo- uh, a man who is blind. Uh, Since birth and no one believed it. They're like what how how can this be? This is absolutely impossible And so this man he was summoned before the Pharisees to give a testimony and so we're kind of halfway into his testimony a second time they summoned the man who had been blind Give glory to God by telling the truth. They said we know that this man being Jesus is a sinner And he replied whether he is a sinner or not. I don't know but one thing I do know I was blind But now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he had found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And who is he? The man replied, Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. A very, very uh, strong passage we have today. Now, as we kind of read this chapter we see that if we can go to the next uh if we go back to the sermon slides next so as we kind of read this chapter we see that there's kind of a stark contrast between being able to see versus kind of being blind and what this passage is trying to kind of elucidate or trying to illuminate is that we're actually talking about the condition not of physical blindness but about spiritual blindness and spiritual blindness is pretty much being in a state of darkness where we are unaware or unable to recognize the truth of Jesus' message and also the need for our salvation. And of course, if this is spiritual blindness, then spiritual sight would signify our ability to properly perceive and accept the light of Jesus' teaching and the transformative power that it holds. Now the interesting thing about this passage we have today is that the story of the blind man also serves as an illustration. It serves as an illustration of our journey as human beings as we come to first see God's light and also our journey as we respond either positively by accepting this light or negatively as we reject it. And this struggle for spiritual vision is often the core of our journey of faith. It has actually very little to do with whether we see God's truth, but rather whether we are willing to move from a place of darkness and into a place of light. Whether we are willing to move from a posture of unwillingness to accept the gospel into a posture of embracing Christ as the true light of our lives. And so as we reflect on this passage, we see that this man's physical blindness is actually really kind of a surface issue. The true healing done here is when Jesus tackles the issue of spiritual blindness that actually affects all people. So what we see is that through this healing, Jesus not only restores sight to the blind, but Jesus also begins to open up the spiritual eyes of this man to the truth of Jesus' message which we will actually explore in a little bit. But before we even get to the details, uh, the passage kind of stops us in our path and it forces us to examine our own spiritual vision, to begin to see if there are any areas of darkness within our own lives. And this darkness is not just in the sense of sin or immorality, but also darkness in the sense of areas in our lives that we are unwilling to let Jesus enter into, unwilling to let Jesus bring healing and change into it. For example, this could be in our relationships with others, where we secretly harbor resentment and unforgiveness. In this situation, we keep Jesus away from developing humility in our lives and the possibility of reconciliation with someone else because we just feel like, "Mm, I just can't forgive that person. This could also be in our careers or our work, where we prioritize success, financial gain, or praise to such a degree that it begins to overwhelm us and crowd God, God out from our lives. Or it could just be as something as simple as unhealthy habits, thoughts, or attitudes that we hold on to, that we are unwilling to let Jesus come in and change. And so as we examine our own spiritual vision, we have to confront the question of whether we are willing to accept the light of Jesus' teaching and the transformative power that it holds. Are we open to allowing Jesus to challenge us, to change us, or do we resist his message and cling to our own ideas and our own perspectives? And this is an essential question to ask ourselves, and it's a question that's kind of subtly posed throughout this passage. So let's actually take a look at this a little bit deeper from two different perspectives. As we continue in our passage, we begin to see kind of this duality of spiritual blindness and spiritual sight play out in the dialogue between the formerly blind man and the Pharisees. Now, just as a reminder, the Pharisees, they were considered to be the religious elites of the time who had tremendous, tremendous, tremendous confidence in the religious law that they received, right? They had tremendous confidence in the tradition of the Mosaic law that they have learned, that they have received through their teachers. They believed to be experts in the Old Testament and experts in the law that Moses passed on. But ironically, they were so arrogant in their own interpretation and their tradition that when the Son of God came into their midst, right literally right before their eyes, they couldn't even recognize him. And as the Pharisees were questioning a blind man, they, they say so themselves. They, they recognize it. They, that they say, like, we don't even know where this fellow comes from. Now, what the Pharisees mean by this is not necessarily the fact that they didn't know that Jesus came from Galilee, Rather, the point that they're making here is that they do not know where Jesus' authority and power comes from. Over and over again, they were so convinced that Jesus was a sinner that despite the fact that a miracle had happened before their very eyes, they refused to acknowledge it. Over and over again, they they repeated and asked the same question. And over and over again, they were thoroughly convinced that Jesus was at best a charlatan, and at worst, a dangerous sinner. And the deepest of ironies, in my opinion here, is that the Pharisees quote that they have received the law of Moses and that they claim to be experts at it. But if they were truly experts in Mosaic law, then they would know who the law pointed to. Also, if they were experts in the Old Testament in general, then they would know that the coming of the Messiah marked a time when the blind would receive sight, just like the scripture reading that Barry read for us earlier, right? In Isaiah. It's interesting, actually. There are many miracles, right, throughout the Old Testament, right? You have the waters splitting open. You have people cured of leprosy. But there has actually never been one incidence in the Old Testament where a person who was blind from birth received sight. That miracle in the Old Testament has never, ever happened before. No one has ever witnessed or experienced this. So what we have here, for the very first time, through Jesus, is a truly novel miracle. And for the Pharisees, this should have rung the alarm bells that, hey, the Messiah is here, the sight, those who are blind now receive sight. But instead, they refused to believe. But why? Why did they refuse to believe? I mean, it's so clear for all of us here to see. One reason, which we'll kind of explore in the coming weeks, is that Jesus proved as a threat to their authority. The Pharisees, they would hold the seats of honor. They had sway and power over the Jewish people. They had the authority to pretty much do as they pleased. They were praised by all, they were respected by all, and to believe and accept Jesus would mean that they would have to give all of that up. They would have to relinquish their positions as teachers and as important figures in the Jewish community since they would have to literally admit before everyone that their understanding of God was completely flawed to begin with. Like Nasruddin who deliberately searched in the wrong place. The Pharisees' priorities were also misplaced as they placed their authority, status, and knowledge as something more important than Jesus himself. And the unfortunate reality is that, you know, we, we read this message and we kind of scoff, we laugh at, you know, like, man, how can these Pharisees be so foolish? But the thing is, we actually do the same thing ourselves. We are actually no better than dumb in some sense. We put various things in our lives as more important than God, whether that be praise, possessions, social status, or a naive understanding of freedom. Like the Pharisees, we are also at times unwilling to let go of the authority of our lives. We are unwilling to let Jesus truly be the Lord of every aspect of our lives. And why are we unwilling? Because if we're honest, it feels good. It feels good to be in control. It feels good to do as we wish, to behave as we wish. But this is actually spiritual blindness. And although this kind of feels uncomfortable to acknowledge, we have to remember, interestingly enough, that this is exactly why Jesus came. In verse 39, Jesus tells everyone around him that judgment, he says this, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And the point that Jesus is making here is that as he shines a light into our hearts, we will begin to have the uncomfortable experience of realizing that we're not as great as we think we are. I think for the most part, most of us as adults, we have learned to put on a mask or a face that shows the outside world that we, hey, we got it all together, right? We put on a face of piety. We put on the face of humility and innocence. But when our lives are truly and entirely exposed before Christ, we realize that we are far more broken than we are willing to admit. We all have things that are too shameful, too embarrassing, and too awful to be known publicly. Because of this, we've reached a critical decision, a critical point in our lives that we have to make. As we see the sins of our lives, as they're exposed before God through his light, will we turn a blind eye and continue in our sin? Or will we choose to open our eyes to our sins see our sins for what they are, and allow Jesus to truly transform us. In the case of the formerly blind man, he chose to be transformed. He chose to embrace the transformative power of Christ, not just physically in his, in his you know, physical eyes, but deeper within his souls. And it's interesting, if you actually read the entire chapter from beginning to end, you actually see a very clear progression of this man's faith. At the start of the chapter, as this man is questioned by the Pharisees who healed him, they ask him like, who is this man who who healed you? And the formerly blind man in verse 11, he says, "Uh, the man that they call Jesus. He does not yet kind of grasp the full significance of who Jesus is, but he, he recognizes that Jesus has at the very least done something absolutely extraordinary in his life. But as the story goes on, we begin to see that he progressively gains a clearer and clearer insight as to who this Jesus is. So that's verse 11. In verse 17, the blind man then calls Jesus a prophet. And by verse 33, he acknowledges that Jesus is from God. This marks a very stark contrast between the Pharisees. The Pharisees claim that they have no idea where Jesus' authority and power comes from, but this uneducated man who's been blind since birth has enough insights to tell these educated Pharisees that Jesus is from God. You don't know where he comes from, but I do. And the blind man's journey, he actually doesn't stop there either after the formerly blind man is excommunicated by the pharisees it's actually a terrible thing to be to be thrown out by the pharisees everyone sees you every teacher every wise person the whole community sees you thrown out you're no longer welcome back there you can't return and so as this man is thrown out and shamed by everyone shamed by the pharisees interestingly enough as he's thrown out he is actually found by jesus and as jesus reveals his identity as God's Word incarnates, this formerly blind man immediately falls into worship. His eyes have now been truly opened. At first, he gained the ability to see the world around him, but now he sees the world from above. He sees the truth of who Jesus truly is. And for him, nothing will ever be the same for this man as he truly comes face-to-face with God himself. And for us, I think the the story, this, this passage that we read today, for us, I think it serves as an encouragement. I think it reminds us of how a genuine encounter with Jesus actually does lead to profound change and transformation in our lives. We saw it last week with the woman at the well Eventually, we will see it with Nicodemus, too, as Nicodemus is the one who finally gives Jesus a proper burial after his crucifixion. But not only is this story a point of encouragement, but it also serves as a call for us. It serves as a call for us to walk deeper in our journey of faith, to turn more and more towards the light of Christ. And so as we encounter God, whether that's, you know, through his word, prayer, or, you know, just in our daily lives, I encourage us to go into our faith with eyes wide open, to be open to the transformative power of Christ, not just in physical circumstances, but into the deeper issues of our hearts and our souls. See that Christ came to this man not just to heal his physical eyes alone, but to bring a deeper healing and understanding within him that will lead into eternal life. And so I encourage us, let us be open to Jesus' lights. Although it, you know, honestly, although it shines upon areas that we kind of wish to keep hidden, which we wish to, you know, allow no one to see, not even God, I encourage us, let God into those areas to truly, for the first time, find freedom in God's forgiveness as those sins, as those shames are wiped away. And so as we... Come together, I would like to you know, bring us into a point of prayer, but before that, let us have the courage and desire to pray as King David once prayed. As he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if any offensive way in me so that you can lead me in the way of everlasting. So don't, why don't we come together in prayer? Heavenly Father, today we come before you to thank you and to praise you. Uh, you have not left us blind and alone in this world. You have not let us, left us alone in our sin and do not leave us without hope. Uh, we acknowledge that you have come as a light of the world. But we confess, Lord, that your light sometimes shines into our lives in ways that makes us uncomfortable. We confess that we do not want to bring our sins, our pride, and our idolatries before you. We confess that we desire to make ourselves first in our lives rather than submitting our lives to you. We confess sometimes that we want nothing to do with you. We desire to walk away. Yet we acknowledge, Lord, that even if the whole world rejects us, even if we face the worst of failures and the deepest of upsets, even when we have sinned and walked away from you, we know that you have found us today. Like the blind man who is rejected by all, but was found by you, today we have been found by you, where we are sitting, and you have given us true insights. We see you today, not in flesh, but in spirit and in truth, and we take comfort knowing that you desire us that much. Lord, we are excited. We're excited today to be in your presence, so let us take this message to heart today. Give us the humility and the courage to admit our wrongs to you and to receive your forgiveness. Allow us to experience what it is like to Finally, taste true freedom of the gospel where we are unshackled from our habits, unshackled from our addictions, and freed from negative thought patterns. Allow us to bring every thought, word, deed to you so that you can transform all of that to glorify you. We're in such a deep love for you today. and We delight to see your presence. We worship you, we praise you, and glorify you. In your most precious son's name, we pray. Amen.